0: Folks, if you could have that passage open before you, we'll be in there for most of the uh, the next few minutes. Not going to be jumping too far from 1 Peter chapter 4, so have it open there before you, page 1220. Often I pray before we come to God's Word, but we've already done that as we have sung that song, asking God that He would speak to us, um, and that's really what we want. That's why we take time every week to, to read from God's Word and then to, to take a few moments to think about it, what it says and its implications for us and for our lives. We want God to speak to us today. It's that time of year, um, and I don't mean Christmas. I, I, I vaguely remember something that I was a bit slow on, on the uptake in school. I didn't realize that when the teachers put tests down before us in late November and early December that there'd be a report coming. You know, each year I was badly prepared, did a bad job of the test, and then was sent home with the report. And, and I just remember the theme was pretty, uh, pretty consistent. A lot more could do betters than well dones. Um, I don't know if that strikes a chord with with you or or maybe you were doing a bit better than I was at that time. I just wanted to take a moment before I go too far in the biblical passage here to to give you your end of term report um, and to say well done because we have come through in these last months probably the biggest transition in my time, my 10 years here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. I'm thinking particularly of those people who are members of our discipleship groups who came through a a, a big upheaval um, early in the autumn, who have had some frustrations or maybe significant frustrations to deal with, but who are starting to see some of the the benefits and some of the possibilities um, of of the way we're trying to to restructure our church There, I just wanted to say... I know that that's been a difficult transition for some people at least, and I wanted to say well done for for starting that journey and beginning to see God work in it. This autumn we've been thinking about how we can be what we're calling an everyday church, and that is a church that could connect with people and share Jesus with people even if they never, or at least initially, didn't come to this building. Uh, that's a lot of what's behind our discipleship group changes that we've made. If you remember the, the one statistic that we've come back to a number of times, and that is that in the UK, about 70% of the population don't expect ever to come to a gathering like this. If they're to encounter Jesus Christ, they'll have to encounter him and his people in some everyday walk of life, whether it's in the workplace, the neighborhood, or wherever. <coughs> And we have turned to 1 Peter this autumn for encouragement to think about how to be an everyday church. The stuff that we've dealt with the last couple of times we've been in 1 Peter has had a lot to do with this outward focus of the church. how How you live in relationships with people beyond yourself. So two times ago Sam was leading us as we thought about how you live under authority, if you remember that. How you live under authority to the the government, um, how you live under authority to your employer, how you live under authority in your own home. Um, Last week, Richard looked at a passage with us where we looked at how to respond to people who are insulting us, how to return a a blessing to a person who's insulted us. Today, we're going to spend most of our time thinking about something different than that outward focus we're going to. Actually, come in and look at life in the community. But before we do that, we're going to look at one uh, last outward focus, and you see it there in verses one to six. Christians have been living under authority; they've been facing insults. But but here, Peter talks about something a little bit different. He talks about suffering that Christians experience, and the best I could come up with is to say that. It's the suffering you experience when people think you're weird because you're not like them. Not willing to live like them. So look at verse 4. Peter recognizes that a watching world sees Christians and he says they think it's strange. There's that word strange. They think you're weird. And what the non-Christians find strange about the Christians is that they don't live the same way. Uh, Look at verse 3. You have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do living in debauchery lust drunkenness orgies carousing and detestable idolatry they think it's strange that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you the image peter's using here is of people it's like they're in a pool and it's a, it's a pool of of sort of moral moral decay it's a bad place there's bad stuff going on in the pool but the people in the pool are having a great time or, or so they think and they're shouting out to the rest of us come and join us this is the only place to be in the pool where we do all this great stuff i can still remember very much this time of the year, approaching the office Christmas party when I was working a, as a young uh, accountant in Coopers and Lybrand, The firm were very generous, they took all of us, hundreds of employees, to the Culloden for a big night out. It was uh, great in some respect, but I remember the chat before it, and all the chat before it seemed to focus on who was going to drink, how much, and how much they'd drink before they even went. and. How much they drink when they were there and, and, and then the chat afterwards if I remember right was something along the lines of who ended up spending the night with who and whether that was something they now regretted or, or not. I used to feel quite weird in all of that because I wasn't going there planning to get blind drunk and I wasn't planning to go home with somebody. And there were times when the, the conversation left me just feeling uh, considerably on the outside or, or on the, the fringe of this. I, I imagined, by the way, that that was something that you struggle with mostly in your teens and uh, maybe in those early stages uh, of, of Life University or shortly after it. I was talking to a friend just recently who was telling me that their work party, a considerably more mature crowd, Um, We're at a venue in Belfast where they had dinner together and there was um, entertainment going on that if it had a, a movie certificate would be at least an 18. And This is over dinner and our culture is beginning to normalize increasingly immoral behavior. And if we aren't aren't wanting to be a part of that, if we want to make a stand for Jesus Christ in the middle of that, we're going to be weird. And my question for each one of us this morning is are we ready for that? Is your appetite to live for Jesus growing in you? Is it strong enough that you're willing to be considered weird by your peer group, your colleagues. It it means for the fellas that whenever you're out with a group of mates and they pull out a a porn movie or stream a porn movie that you are are strong enough to say, I don't want to be a part of this. I'll be somewhere else. It, It means whenever people are getting into promiscuous relationships, we, we say, that that's not for me. I, I'm not going to live that way. It, it might mean more things than that. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It, it, we talked about what sacrificial Christian giving looks like. It'll look weird to a person who doesn't know and love Jesus. They'll think, that guy's nuts. He's wasting his money giving to, to God's work in the world. There, I'm sure there are other ways in which Living for Jesus makes us appear strange. Peter gives a couple of reasons, very briefly, why we can live with this this sense of, hey, people think I'm weird, but that's okay. Look look first of all, at verses five to six. He reminds us that there is a judge. Immoral behavior a life of rebellion against God doesn't go unchecked eternally. Judgment comes. No sinful behavior escapes the attention of the living God. Peter gives a second reason. I hope it's a more powerful one in our minds than even that. Look at verse 1. one reason, the reason why we ought to be able to be thought weird is because we follow Jesus Christ. Because he is our example. He lived in a world where he was entirely misunderstood. And not for the first time in this letter, Peter links the suffering of Jesus with any suffering that we might be experiencing. Anytime he talks about suffering, he says, but Jesus suffered too. He says, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Think about it for a second. If, if some of this language that we talk about here in church, about following Jesus or being a disciple, if it had any real substance, and we started to actually make decisions and live lives that, that mirrored what Jesus would do in our shoes, is it not likely that we would start to experience some of what he experienced? Is it not likely that we would start to receive the treatment that Jesus received? Folks, to follow Jesus fully, I think, means to be content to be treated the way Jesus was treated. If I follow Jesus, it's very likely that people will think I'm weird. I said at the start that we'd spend most of our time thinking um, or, or at least some of our time thinking about the, the life inside this church community. What I've noticed in these last readings or passages in First Peter is that, that he seems to be setting up the bar so high. This idea that we're supposed to, to submit to authority, that we're supposed to bless people when they insult us, now that we're supposed to be willing to, to be thought of as weird. That, that's, a, that's a big ask, Peter. And it's enough, I think, to have us wondering how, how could we possibly live this way? What help is there? What resources are there available to us as we try to follow Jesus and live this kind of life? Well, Peter shows us in the closing verses of our passage two overarching resources. I'm going to say that they're God's help and the help of each other. Very quickly, the help of each other. This isn't the first time in this letter that Peter's encouraged people to find support in each other. He points them to each other. Flick back to chapter three, verse eight. Richard didn't deal with this in any great depth last week because he knew I was talking on this passage today. Peter says there, all of you live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Here in chapter 4, verse 8, he's urging them to the, the same deep commitment to one another. Above all, love one another deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. To be the kind of church that we've been talking about here, a church that's able to swim against the tide, to, to show God's beauty in an increasingly dark world, we need to support And love one another. Love's one of those words. I I think whenever anybody is talking about love, it always needs definition. It's been too broadly cast um, in the history of literature or media. What do we mean when we say love? Well, today Peter tells us what, what he's talking about. Peter makes some very concrete suggestions here about how we might love one another. And bear in mind who he's talking to. He's talking to these scattered communities of Jesus followers. I don't think he's writing to any group, anywhere nearly as big as this group that we're in today. He's talking to little scattered communities. And it might be helpful for you to have your discipleship group in mind as we think about these three Things together. Look, look very quickly. The three things he says, in verses nine to eleven. Peter's first suggestion, verse nine, is that we offer hospitality. I wonder if you're doing that in your discipleship group. When the conversation goes around to who's hosting next week or next time, do you just stare at your shoes and stare in the space? Have you come to see yourself as only a recipient? Of hospitality, never a giver of it. For our discipleship groups to flourish, we need to learn to open our homes and our lives to each other. It's one of the ways in which we love one another. This is one of the ways we can build each other up and be a community together. If you don't know how to do it, if you're saying "Christoph, that's fine for you to say, then here's how you do it. You offer to host one of the next meetings, you buy a packet of chocolate digestives, you boil a kettle and you ask people whether they'd like tea or coffee, and that's it. It can be more elaborate than that but it doesn't need to be, that's it. Opening homes, sharing lives with one another. Peter offers a second way in which we can support each other and build each other up. He says, we can serve one another. Verse 10, everyone should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. As the discipleship group leaders have been thinking and praying about this stuff for for quite a while now, We've been challenged about this area. We've seen a weakness, I think, in the way we had been doing things in a lot of cases. We used to think that the best way that we could lead discipleship groups and lead you as a community was by doing most of the stuff for you, or even to you. We were the leaders; we'd do it all. In many cases, we'd host the meetings. We'd Make uh, We'd prepare and lead the Bible studies. We'd make the administrative arrangements. We'd be to uh, do all the, the pastoral caring in the group. Your role was to, to turn up and, and to receive what was an offer. We've been challenged about that. We've begun to see that we, we probably got that wrong in some ways we've realized that this way of doing things was not only killing us, but it was killing the life of the group. Because when we're giving you the opportunity to, to learn by doing, to, to grow in, in serving, so we're trying to reimagine all of that. We're trying to make a discipleship, a group, a place where each person, depending on their gift, is actively engaged I have to tell you something about the direction this church is going. This church is becoming a church where it's not really going to work very well for people who are wanting a passive experience. We're not really very interested any longer in, in treating you as a consumer, somebody who turns up to, to experience whatever is laid on for you. Jesus would never have done that for his disciples. As soon as he gathered them around them, he took them and said, let's go. We're going on a transforming of your life journey. And if we want to honor him, we need to lead in the same way. If you're in a discipleship group, I know some of you have already seen that have experienced the joy of either serving or receiving the service of others. It's a really life giving, discipling moment when we learn to serve one another. I'd like to take an opportunity, by the way, to thank some people who served here yesterday. A big army of guys looked after 150 kids less than half of whom belonged to this church or maybe half of whom belonged to Kirkpatrick and half from the neighborhood. I want to pay tribute to the discipleship group who went out onto the street and served 400 people malt punch and shortbread. It was beautiful. Yesterday afternoon, Jesus, his love was very evident emanating from this place. But none of it, none of that happened without people serving. It was the service that was beautiful. Nothing else. Offer hospitality, Peter says. Serve one another. And his third suggestion in verse 11 is that we speak as though we're speaking the very words of God. Have we even begun to think about what would happen if we put this into practice? I want you to imagine for a second a community where our experience of God's word in our lives wasn't limited to preaching like this or to the Bible notes that we read or to the sermons that we listen to online. Imagine if every one of our conversations was potentially a place where God spoke and where we could hear. I don't mean by the way that everything turns super spiritual that there's no room for talking about the football or the weather or catching up. But what if we what if we opened ourselves to this possibility? That we have a role to play, to bless each other, and to build each other up, to remind each other that God is our Father who loves us, no matter how unloved we are feeling in that week. That Jesus is the one who died to save us and to justify us, no matter how judged we feel by people around us. That God's Holy Spirit is available to us, a living presence of God, because heck, we need we need to know he's with us. What if we begin to speak those kinds of words, even occasionally to each other, to speak as though we were speaking the very words of God. I've done it again, haven't I? I've preached another sermon of stuff that we just can't do. It feels like it's far too much. Too demanding. I can't do that. Let me tell you something. I know that this is too demanding and that we can't do it. I know that. And it's because the kind of church that Peter talks about here and that Jesus built in his, his group of disciples, it's because that is too demanding that we make church into something so much less. That's why we do it. We turn church into a convenient consumer experience. We find a preacher and we pay him. He becomes the person who brings the word of God to us so that we don't have to do it. It's done. Tick. The guy's paid to do it, and he's done it. (coughs) We pay a church staff team so that they can run things and do things. and, and, And as long as we get a chance to volunteer a bit here and there, then we can tick and say, service done. There's been a bit of service in and around our church. Offering hospitality. Well, there's always some suckers in the church who'll do that kind of thing. As long as there's some who are willing to do it, the rest of us can just join in and we'll receive it. They love opening their home, and we love going to their home without opening ours. It all works. Feeling that we could open a cafe church, none of us would have to open our homes at all. Folks, we can. I think we're beginning to see that we can't do it. Some of us, anyway. Peter's first resource is each other, but his second resource is the help and strength of the living God. Look at verse 11b. If anyone serves, he should do it in the strength that God provides. Don't even, let's let's not even try to do the kind of thing that God calls us to without doing it in God's strength. Let's not do that. Whenever we do that, it always goes bad in our hand. Always. We muck it up and we become bitter about what's happened to us. Let's not do that. Peter reminds us at the end of verse 11 that all of our lives together in our discipling communities is about God having glory. If anyone serves, he should do it in the strength that God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we rely on God and do things only in the strength that he gives Look at the very opening phrase of this little section, chapters or verses 7 to 11, he begins the whole little bit here by encouraging us to be prepared to pray, folks. Praying, I, I, I'm not going to get into the forms of this, I'm not talking about starting prayer meetings, extra prayer, that's not where I'm not interested in that. I'm talking about each one of us becoming a prayerful person. Prayer is what we do when we don't know what to do. When we're stuck, we pray. Prayer is what we do when we know what we should do, but we know we're not strong enough to do it, and we say, Lord, I need your help. We pray. Prayer is simply Being run out of our own resources and turning to God and saying, Lord, I need yours. That's what it is to pray. And that's the kind of praying that we need to do here in Kirkpatrick Memorial. I want to ask you today, because I I know that some people are, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you all. Are you struggling in your discipleship group? Are you struggling in church, in this thing, this Sunday morning thing? If so, then then pray. The elders in the church here have been freeing up more of their time to be praying together about the life that we share here. I'd love it if you were joining with them. The elders need your prayers because I will tell you, if you're struggling with church, they do too, and they carry a good deal of responsibility. For your struggles as well as their own pray for them and pray for yourselves pray that God would take you and use you to be a person who is a huge blessing to the people around you that you'll be able to do these things in God's strength that we're called to here in his work. Let's all pray.